Hey guys, if you had one wish from your fairy godmother, what would it be? I would wish that people would donate more to the podcast. Shameless plug. <laughs> Brad? Sleep through the night. Oh, or God. my kids to sleep through the night. Yeah, it's more the kids. I don't care yeah. if I sleep through the night. I yeah. just want them Can to sleep through Can my kids sleep through the night? night? Yeah, that's my wish right well, now. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a cascading thing, right? Like, yeah. You sleep through the night so that I can I sleep can through the sleep. night. Yeah. That one was good. I, I like that one. For me, if I had one wish, it would be to instantly edit all the episodes. Oh, no, I'm fine oh. with it. We've, we've been pushing it out to other people to help with edits now. So I'm only doing like one out of every seven episodes. I'm cool with it. Yeah, you got a good point. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on the big bad evil guys of Dungeons & Dragons. We like to call this series Portfolios. I'm Adam, and with me today are Brad and Dan, and this episode is called Hags. No Charm, No Foul. <laughs> nice. Oh, hey, you guys remember a guy named Charm? Character named oh, Charm. Guys, Brad? Yeah. Brad? Oh, I remember. <laughs> and it was foul at the it, end. It was. Yeah. So we've previously covered Beholders, Illithids, the Elder Elementals, Celestials, High-Powered Constructs, and some of the biggest, nastiest monstrosities from both the Forgotten Realms and the Magic the Gathering campaign settings. My favorite is Adam. <laughs> and of course, this is the last part of our four-part conversation on hags. For all of these and more, including a buttload of humanoid mob monsters and a whole pile of fiends, you can jump over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can check out our YouTube page and the playlist on monsters that we built there. In this final Hags episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the panel of Dungeon Masters sits down to look at the worst Hags that Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition has to offer. With a hard look into the stat blocks of the nastiest coven published so far, this episode is going to see what can be gleaned from the pages of Wild Beyond the Witchlight when it comes to playing Hags in your own campaigns. So, spoiler, if you're about to play that, don't listen to this episode. Yes! If you're about to DM it, give it a good yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we get started, Brad and Dan, I've gone over all the basic Hags in the previous three monster episodes with you guys, including three covens and two celebrities in the Hag world. What's your favorite hag that we've covered so far in the podcast and why? Oh. Let's roll it. Let's, let's roll it. I got to 12. Eight. You're I going got, first, I Adam. got a seven. See, hags. They're your favorite? That death glare, I, I will automatically get to kill one player. Mm-hmm. Clearly, without fail, I will get to kill a player character with that. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, you're next, I guess, Dan. No, no, I was last. Oh, you were last. All right. I was actually going to go along the same line, but the Sea Fury. Yeah. I really like just the amped up, the combination of multiple Sea Hags to form a Fury. The whole floor behind that was cool. I just, I just, I love how low CR'd they are. Oh, yeah. It's like an Intellect Devourer or a, or a Shadow or a, like, if you throw that at your party not prepared, yeah. they're going to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, they will. This is what you, I throw this at the beginning of a campaign out there to kill one of them. To set the tone for this campaign. So what you're saying is I definitely shouldn't throw a sea hag in a campaign when I've just had a player character death? I would probably pull back from it or at least give half half hit points. Okay, we need to make this recording quick then because i got to do some changes before tomorrow night. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, Brad. So for me, it's the Anatag. I, I do love the big brute hidden in, in amongst a crowd of ogres that is just wreaking havoc and then... Going back to practice her trade at tanning children flesh. 
Like, there's just something so beautiful and horror about them that I I really like and, and draws me to use them in my campaigns. How are things at home with the kids, Dan? Um, they're, they're great. Again, I'd like for them to sleep more. Go to sleep! Crushing hug! So, let's talk for a second about role-playing them because these guys, we've set them up to be big, bad, evil guys. They should run the first, at least, tier. Often into tier two. And with the right coven, you can get into tier three with hags. And most people don't get much beyond that in D&D. So as much as they're not the big vampire wizard or a lich or an ancient dragon, you are going to run into them. Yeah, absolutely. Every DM who knows anything about D&D will look at hags and go, oh, hello, let's do this now. You may go years without running into a beholder or a giant. Yeah. But you won't go that long without running into a hag. Yeah. So you can introduce the hag session one. Yeah, and they should always be memorable. Mm-hmm. So we spent the last three episodes, the beginning of each episode, going into kind of the generic details of them. But let's talk about what it takes to actually role play for DMs as a hag. So the very first thing to remember is that hags do not care about the player characters, the NPCs, or their well-being. They don't give a shit. No. Nope. They are there for themselves and themselves only. And they may be friendly and they may want to bargain, but ultimately they don't care. If you die, they don't care. If you are miserable, it might be moderately funny for a couple of minutes and then they don't care. They truly do sit in the neutral evil, almost across the board. Mm. Even when they're not neutral evil, they run a little neutral evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Running up against one of these should be dangerous. If you are in a bargain, you are in for some real hurt. Things can go sideways very, very quickly, especially because you're low level and you only have a handful of hit points at this point. Mm-hmm. It should be nerve-wracking. You should know the danger. DMs, let people know how scary this is. The moment that, look, if it's just a merchant on the side of the road and they don't know it's a hag, that's fine. But if they know it's a hag, you let them know how bad this gets. Before they ever get in there, they should be shaking. They should be waiting and watching every word they say because this will go poorly. If you just play a uh, hag as like a creepy wizard in the woods, you're, you're doing them wrong. Right? Yeah. There needs to be the build up for them. Yeah. So the other thing about it is it should be a little uncomfortable. They should not blink. And neither should yeah. you as the dungeon master. You should be saying, oh, what exactly do you mean by that? Oh, is that your full name? And they should be wondering at all times, oh shit, what did I say? Hold on. Who said what? Right? Let's the, not forget these guys are, these ladies are fey. Exactly. So when the bard opens his mouth, to be like, well, actually, we just came from, everyone else at the table should be like, no, 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 shut up. Don't, don't give her any information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. They're going to operate on like gathering information, gathering leverage almost to use against your players or NPCs at large to corrupt them. And yep. their, their minions are going to get a lot of that information for them already before you even meet them. Before oh, they, you even know they exist. They've got all sorts of spies out there. Yes. And half of them can see into your dreams. So you're not mm-hmm. holding too much back in the first place. This is a bad time. Any DM worth their salt is going to be able to look at the party and just say, I already know that. My my The hag already grins and says, yeah, no, I know. When the bard says, oh, we just came from, and everyone says, shh, 
The Hague should then finish that thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let them know that they have been scried upon. But when it comes to the direct interaction with them, remember, they're cranky old grandmothers, right? They know better than you. They're unyielding with their perspective. They're vocal with their unpopular opinions. And they're not concerned about setting any consequences. If then this, think about a cranky old grandparent who is just tired of shit. Tired of life altogether and... I don't believe in that. Why would I believe in that? That's not how my life... That may be your truth. It's not my truth. I don't give a shit. That is how hags operate. Hmm. It says that right in Volos. And I sit there and I go, yeah, I know lots of people over the age of 60 that are like this. (laughs) So I'm not going to call out names, but there are some. Yeah. Yeah. So that are uncomfortable. This is your racist grandmother at Thanksgiving. All of the time. This After is, two glasses of wine. Yeah. Yeah. This is American Congress. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> they want a medal. Yeah. They want a bargain. But bargains always include three aspects. Okay. There's what you get out of it. So there's the offer. Then there's the price. And the price should be steep in the first place. Yes. Yes. And then there's the hidden catch. Oh, here the hidden catch is, is great because if the price isn't steep it's intentional mm-hmm. right like they this really is, want to get you at the this yet. is too attractive well this is the difference between hags and devils devils will want you to get into a contract right so that they can then get your soul and pull the rug out from underneath you the hags want the thing that you are offering i will give this to you but you have to give me the unicorn horn because i want the unicorn horn it's about what the hag wants first and not about what you want Mm-hmm. Right, so if you walk in like, oh, hey, we need to lift a curse. What do you have that I want? This is about me first, yeah. you second. Right, you came to me with the bargain. They will set themselves up to be there to bargain. Yeah, but you come to me I, with the bargain. I already know what you want. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so this is what I want. What what shiny, fun, interesting, magical thing do you have? What opportunity are you going to provide me? And that is going to be. The horrible aspect of dealing with the hag, the steep price. You have to give up your heirloom sword or the magic armor or your familiar. Or the gnome NPC. (laughs) Maybe, right? So you have to give this thing up, but there's still a hidden catch behind it. So that's one of my favorite things to do as a DM with hags is to say, you can do this. It's a really attractive bargain. Are you going to do it? You're going to get all this stuff. It's going to cost you a lot. And everyone's like, oh, I hate hags. Fine, let's do it. And then it's done. And I'm like, you don't hate them enough. Because guess what's around the corner? (laughs) When faced with a new magic item, a hag is going to investigate with all of her senses. So if you walk in with a fancy wand, she's going to pull that wand out of your hand. And she's going to say, give me. Let me see. Let me see. You'll get it back. It's fine. Let me see. And she's going to take it. She will have every intention of giving it back. But then she's going to sniff it. She's going to shake it and try to listen to she's it. She's going to lick it. She's going to lick it. She is going to put it in her ear and poke around with it to see what it does when that happens. She's going to wave it with three or four different methods and aim at different things. The, what if I do this? Oh, okay. And what if I do that? She's going to test the strength of watch as your wand bends. She won't break it. But she'll bend it. Maybe drag a thumbnail down it to just scratch. See how much of it comes off. Watch the wizard player just like crawl their skin like a goose pimple all the way down as you just describe the like popping cracking noises. 
that she's just like starting to bend it a bit too far and then she stops and does it again slowly just staring at the wizard but it's not just magic items it's also things like tomes if she's gonna get a brand new tome if the wizard walks into the spell book she wants to read it yeah i just want to flip through it i'm not gonna not gonna study it i just want to flip through it how many spells do you have in here she's smelling the pages where did this get bound in this smells this smells like candle keep Right, like, and it's gonna get weird like that. So she's gonna lick the ink and say, "Oh, oh, I know who wrote this. I know where you got this ink from." And she's gonna be weird and creepy with everything. So imagine what happens when she runs into a creature. For all of you people that are playing your herringons and shit like that now, that she's never seen before, she is going to poke and prod and sniff and lick mm -hmm. and get right in there, pluck whiskers and say, "What is this? What is this?" Also, maybe a tuft of tail fur into the cauldron yeah she see is, how it reacts she is going to get up in your business to determine how much she wants you mm -hmm. that's what this is about how much she wants this item or person or opportunity how much she wants this experience and then she's going to set a value and once she set the value then and only then will she say okay i'm ready to bargain if she doesn't know if you're like well i have a secret thing in a bag she's not interested Fuck off, it could be yeah. anything. But the moment that she has any sort of idea that there's going to be a level of importance to this, whether or not it's unique or interesting or powerful, or even if she just doesn't want you to have it anymore, mm -hmm. then she is going to make a bargain. And when she bargains, she bargains eagerly. This is not one of these like, well, I don't know, passive aggressive kind of... No, she wants it. And you know she wants it, and she will come hard at it. Yeah. What you don't realize is she's also sizing up everything else you're carrying because you think she's focused on this one necklace that you brought forward. Magically powerful gifts, though, can go a long way. So sometimes giving a gift before the bargain hits is a good way for you to mitigate some of that hidden catch or the overall price. It's not that you're going to get rid of it altogether unless you are truly allying yourself with her but it's more the fact that it's not going to be quite as bad i don't i don't see hags as being miserly in that respect where they're just like hoarding a bunch of magic items nope, upon no. themselves they have a plan for they it. have a plan and they have a goal and there'll be a point in time where they're just like no i i also think that let's say that they have 10 magical items they'll always want 10 magical items, hmm. right? So I'll give you this one to get that one. And they're always just trying to, you know the story of the red paperclip? Idea that there was this guy who took a red paperclip and he went online and he decided to trade with someone else for like a, a pen. And then they traded and then he took a pen and he traded that for a pair of scissors. And he traded all the way up to, I think, a brand new car, it, right? It was a house, actually. Was it a house it he got? A house. In the wow. So anyway, that is how a hag is going to bargain, right? So she's going to look at these magic items. She's going to say, well, I need these three for this. That one is actively doing this. So I've got these six to work with, mm -hmm. right? And then if you can offer her one plus another, now she has 11, that's even better for her moving forward. She's always looking, it's like a swap meet almost. Mm. So, but what you have to offer might be your free will, your intention, your soul, your dreams. It could be something that's, that's fey. It doesn't have to be an actual item. She takes a cup and slides it over. Fill it up. Doesn't With give you life. any sort of expe <laughs> yeah. like explanation. Just fill it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a little from each of you. Yeah. So can you, can you taste this for me? <laughs> so bargaining with the hag is not a good idea, but it's sometimes the only idea. 
She will also bargain when she feels her life is threatened. But when she feels that she's in any sort of danger, she's going to go out of her way to come off as weak and pitiful until she can get the upper hand again. This upper hand is not just when it comes to violence. Like, yes, this will apply when she's been captured and tied up, but it's also when she's in the midst of trying to strike a bargain and you guys are more powerful than she is. Oh, oh, I'm just a little old grandmotherly type and it's okay. You can, uh, who would like a cup of tea? And it's like legit tea, detect magic. There's nothing weird about it. There you go. And so she hands out tea to everybody and she's this little unassuming grandmother type to totally put you off your game. Mm -hmm. But then the moment she realizes that you have put your powerful magic item down and leaned it against the doorframe, now she's in a better position to become a little bit more aggressive. So she's always playing the room appropriately. She's going to use dangerous items as bribes as well. As much as I said you can bribe her with powerful magical items, she'll try to bribe you as well. And this is not part of the bargain. These are just gifts. But it never comes without a catch. Mm -hmm. There's always a catch. She also likes to create discord between her enemies. So if she knows that you guys are out to get her, and she will, then she's going to try to make it so that the barbarian and the cleric are going to be at odds in the middle of a conversation. She will inherently know that the monk and the fighter had a huge argument about taking captives on the road on the way in. And she's going to say, so do you guys kill or do you let people go? Like at what point, like, are you murderers too? Or how do you see yourselves? Mm. Right. And she will bring this up just to have the players and the characters that are there go at each other. <laughs> Mess with the be paladin. Care be careful with this. Yeah. Like as a DM, be oh, careful yes. with like inputting party politics into your game to this level. She also is, and it says right in the section called Role Playing a Hag and Bolos, she is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out right. She might casually comment about how easily a visitor would fit in her cauldron or make a blunt sexual comment about a guest. Hmm. Don't just do this without putting some thought and weighing into it like ahead of time. Know with your session zero what you can get away with, right? And also know I can make a blunt sexual comment that's PG. It doesn't have to be rated R. It can just be, she looks you up and down and goes, hmm, nice. <laughs> right? And that could be all that it is. And you're like, oh, I'm that's un gross. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the sustained eye contact when yeah. you said that was just... It was the lip smack for it me. It was the lip smack for you. Yeah. So the thing about a hag is she is going to make everyone around the table uncomfortable. Make sure that you know what you're doing. With the party, if you are playing online and don't have a read on the table's body language, don't go down this avenue. Mm -hmm. So, when it comes to actual attacks, she will only attack when she has an advantage. She usually aims for people that are sleeping, people that are desperate, or children. Because then she has the upper hand. They would much rather take passive approaches to damaging victims. That's just their MO. They want you to be cursed and to have your maximum hit points dropping slowly over time. Yeah. They want you to feel weaker and weaker and become more forgetful. Not get that long rest that you so desperately need. They don't want to get into hand-to-hand -hand combat. Except maybe the Anis Hag. Oh, well, and the and Ver Hag. The Ver Hag. The Ver Hag. The Ver Hag. So those are the two that are in Volos. But remember, as much as she may not want to, it's always on the table... And if you back her into a corner, she will 
hit and run because she will come back with subtle ways of manipulating you in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So the other neat thing that Volos gives us actually is a bunch of tables about building the role-playing aspects of a hag. So we get personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, just like you would with a character background. Do you guys want to grab dice and let's roll and I will uh, we'll build a hag for each of you. Let's uh, let's build one for, I don't know, roll initiative. Let's see who's going to go first. 19. 11. Go All ahead, right, Dan. Dan, give me a D8. A six. I offer generous terms in my deals, but the cost for defaulting is exceedingly high. Cool. Give me a D6. Four. Your ideal is independence. I neither require nor want a coven. I will not be someone's equal. Cool. Give me another D8 for your bond. A two. I am involved in a centuries-long feud with a rival of similar power and status. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why I uh, like independence. And D6 for your flaw? A three. I have an allergy to a creature such as cats or ravens or a substance such as apples or blood that is important to my work. Oh, cool. <laughs> Fill this up. Put the cap on when you're done. <laughs> Brad? All right. Give me a D8 for personality trait. That's a one. That's a swan. A one. <laughs> that was a seven. I have made subtle insults into an art form. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Give me a D6 for your ideal. Another one. Change. I will metamorphose into every kind of hag and live a century as each, becoming something even greater in the end. Cool. Oh, that would be fantastic. Another D8. Uh, six. My daughter was taken from me, and I want to find her and train her. Oh. And D6 for the flaw? Uh, another one. I am too eager for gossip. Oh, yeah. That's fitting for a hag. Yeah. Yeah. So, you guys can see how, like, there are two D6s and two D8 tables in Volos to build a hag if you're trying to do something unique. Um, and then, of course, there's a table for hag names. We've gone over that in a previous episode already. Mm -hmm. So, they really do have a build-your-own hag in here, and it can be applied to any one of the hags the six different hag types that are out there. Cool. However, we got the uh, witch light. Yes. Wild Beyond the Witch Light. And that comes with a very specific coven of hags that aren't actual hags that are broken down. They're, they're not a night hag or a ver hag or anything else. They're their own unique individuals. Each comes with a whole bunch of power, a whole bunch of abilities, and they all live in a small subdomain of the Feywild. But did you know that each one of them comes with a curse? Huh. Mm -hmm. It says very early in the book that uh, you can choose to have your player characters have something that they've lost. This could be an item or a sense of something like a they no longer have a sense of smell or a sense of childlike wonder. These are the lost things that the hags will take when they are children. So they either got COVID or grew up. So. <laughs> Ouch, Brad. <laughs> Too dark? Oh, 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 you're old? There goes your wonder. So You still have yours? No. <laughs> so there are specific curses that come with each one of these things. When you lose one of these items, you get a specific curse. For Bavlorna, you can't light non-magical fires until you get your object back. Huh. For Scabatha, you can't tie or untie non-magical rope. Until you get your lost item back. <laughs> Just untie yourself. But I can't. I can't. 
And, well, can you imagine being on a ship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine how sad that makes the bard. Guys, help! <laughs> it happened again. It happened again. For Endolin, you can't open a door without knocking on it first. Oh. That's just good etiquette anyways. That's a fucking problem in <laughs> D&D. <laughs> Your just, poor rogue. Give this to your rogue. Yeah. Okay, guys, I'm going to check for traps. Boom, boom, boom. Feel your heartbeat to the beat of the drum. Fuck. <laughs> All right, then. Watch more internet videos, Adam. Oh, uh, no, I know. I just wasn't expecting that to pop up in the fucking episode, Dan. Anyway, so. I just assumed you watched different internet videos. Yeah. Is there any other kind of... I want everyone to, to roll dice. I want to know, is there another kind of curse that you would put on someone if you would... <laughs> you okay yeah. there, Dan? Uh, no, my curse. You cannot roll a dice in a box. Uh, I got a 15 for me. All right, so Brad, you're first. If, if one of your players, if you make your own hag and one yeah. of your players gets cursed by them, what kind of non-mechanical curse would yeah. you give them? I was going to say you can't step over a hearth without first wiping your feet. Without first wiping your feet? Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 trying to think specifically of the players I have in in my group that I that I'm running with right now. And I'll I'll know what I'll go with Jared. Dragonborn Paladin. His curse would probably be cannot he's an oath of glory paladin. He cannot Tell of his own glories without first saying something negative about himself. I want a self-depreciating fact followed by whatever glory he wants. But it's got to be I'm like, a total piece of shit, but I will beat you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. I can't get an erection, but... <laughs> but this is my friend Jorgagu. Yeah. I am specifically going to have it so that any time that you roll intimidation, so whenever you go to intimidate someone, you have to repeat the last threat you heard. Oh. The last threat you heard. Yes. Give that back or I will wallop you with my book. It's <laughs> a barbarian. Yeah, I don't have a book. <laughs> All right, so we have these three hags now that are the big bads from Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yes, yes. Again, this is where you need to duck out of this episode if you are going to play it as a player anytime in the next couple of years. So, everybody gone? Good. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. So let's roll. We each have one of these hags. We're each gonna focus on one. So let's roll initiative and see. I got you, a three. You won with a six, Adam. I, I won with a six. I got a two. So the hag that I chose was Endolin Moongrave. Endolin Moongrave is also known as Creeping Lynn and Bitter End. Cool. Ooh, I like that. Both of those things are very specifically describing her, and will. Uh, even her last name, Moongrave, believe me, this will all make sense in a moment. When you think about naming your hag, think about it like this. Mm -hmm. She tells people their futures by using grotesque performances and pantomimes. As payment, she saps a little of their free will, which stops them from being able to do some basic task. Usually, this task will be the one thing that could save them from their fate. Oh, So, long as, as long as you can keep the lantern lit... You will be safe. You will die in the dark. But you can't light a lamp. You can't you can't light a lamp. Cool. She is consumed by the ideas of tragedy and despair, and this obsession is actually prolonging her life beyond its natural means. She is this old gross hag. She's actually the youngest of the three of them, mm -hmm. but there's so much flavor about her. The idea of tragedy and despair 
because she's focused so much on her own death and seeing the future, she knows other people's deaths as well. She is withered, hunchbacked, and emaciated. She's got thin, blackened skin that clings to her bones like a mummy. Her rictus grin hides behind a black veil, and her real hands lay hidden within her cloak. Her dress is actually a costume that acts as a large mechanical marionette theater that comes to life in her lap. Cool. Wow. Also, she's got four long, spindly, artificial arms with gnarled claws that manipulate the black strings of the marionettes. This costume raises her up to seem like she's unnaturally tall, and it appears to have a dozen or so pointed legs that skitter around like a bug. As if that wasn't bizarre enough, she also has the redundantly named Ornithopter of Flying, which (laughs) is a magical item that players can actually get. Yeah. Do you know what an ornithopter is? It's like uh, the Da Vinci level flying machine. It is specifically any machine that can fly by flapping its wings. So this is mechanical, not magical. Yeah, well, it's going to be magical. For, it's a hag, right? We, we kind of discussed earlier, right, in episode three... Well, I'm telling you now, it's listed under the magic items. Yeah, it's just really interesting that this one specifically continues on beyond... Well, I like like it because it's called the Ornithopter of Flying. Like, Ornithopters in and of themselves... Are flying. Well, are flying, but not well. This one does it well. So I can see it being a little bit more magical because Mm. it's been, like, enhanced to actually do the function it's designed for. So, like I said before, she's the youngest of the sisters... And she has a complicated relationship with them. They don't particularly get along. And uh, they often steal from each other. And she's pissed about it. She is not going to help the others. Okay. At any point. Nope. She completely fears eclipses. Because she knows that she's going to die during a solar eclipse. Which is why her last name is Moongrave. Cool. I like that. This is also why she's obsessed with tragedy. If she's killed when it's not an eclipse... Her body is going to eventually reform, and it's built right into her mechanical stats. She lives in Yawn, which is a place with no moon. But she believes that this doesn't necessarily save her from eclipses. She's equally terrified of symbolic eclipses. And there are actually two elves in the story, one representing moon and one representing the sun. And they're twins, and they live in Yawn. And she's like, no, I'm going to keep you... And you are going to fuck off to the other side of the realm because I don't want any part of this shit. And so she keeps them distant on purpose. Cool. She's got a layer. I think they all have layers, don't they? Yes. Does yours have a layer, Dan? Yes, yes, it does. So she's got a layer. It's a mountaintop castle that is actually a huge theater at the peak of a mountain called Motherhorn. She's got copper lightning rods all over her region that catch lightning and power her theater. This electricity also powers her orrery of tragedy, which is a massive machine in the basement of her castle that gives her glimpses of her own demise. Cool. She's obsessed with this. So she's always looking to conscript new actors for her theater. And twice a day, she'll sit down and watch the plays that she forces her captives to perform. When a performer becomes boring, she's either going to turn them into a monster and set them free on the mountainside, or turn them into a mask to be used in a pantomime in a future performance. She also has a pair of scissors that she can use to remove humanoids from their shadows. These shadows become her minions, but they merely just threaten and harass travelers 
They don't attack unless they're attacked first. And if one of them dies, the others will scatter. Hmm. So they're very fey-like. They're not quite as undead. Cool. Now, she comes with a personality trait, an ideal, a bond, and a flaw as well, as I believe all of them do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Her personality trait is, I have foreseen not only this moment, but the next as well. Nothing surprises me. And that is reflected in her stat block. You cannot surprise her. Her ideal is, each of us gets to play the lead in our own tragedy. But if you can't be bothered to put on a good show before you die, don't waste my time. Wow. So, shit's getting dark. Yeah. Her bond is, my world is the stage, and my (laughs) theater is of paramount importance to me. Cool. So she actually wants to keep the... She's not out for murder and mayhem. She wants to watch the tragedies unfold. And her flaw is, my death will occur during an eclipse. That is my doom, and I can't change it. But I will... Do everything in my power to forestall it. Is she weakened by like an eclipse in her realm or whatever that is? There's no there there's are, no moon. There's no moon. She huh. can't be eclipsed. Or there is no eclipse. So she won't leave her realm because there may be an actual literal solar eclipse. But there's also these two elves. And if you can do some sort of symbolic eclipse in front of her, you may be able to kill her. So let's get into the nitty gritties. She's a CR6 medium fake creature. She's neutral evil. Her AC is 17, and her hit points are 12d8 plus 60, which is pretty hefty for a CR6. She has a walking and climbing speed of 30 feet per round, and when you see kind of her costume with the skittering legs, that makes a lot of sense. Wisdom is her lowest stat with a 10, and while Dex and Intelligence each have plus 1 modifiers and Charisma has a respectable plus 3 modifier, It's the surprising 20s in strength and constitution that stand out here. Mm -hmm. Especially considering she is withered and old and hunched over. So this has got to be kind of her costume in my head. She gets massive boons to all of the saving throws, except strength and dexterity. So, you know, note to area of effect casters, right? Mm -hmm. She's not going to be able to make that dex save necessarily. But she's particularly proficient with arcana, deception, perception, and stealth. So I feel like she's a little bit of a phantom of the opera if you get her in and around her own theater. Yeah. She's got true sight out to 60 feet. She speaks common, elvish, and sylvan. And she has a proficiency bonus of plus three. She's got two really cool features. One that makes it so she can't be surprised. And then the other that outlines how she can't suffer from aging and doesn't die from aging. So if you have spells that age her up, it's not going to have any effect on her. I think I think all of the all of them Hourglass do. Coven have that. Yes. Eclipsed Doom is the feature that she has, which says that she can't die. It tells us that she can only be killed if she hits zero hit points during a solar eclipse or in the presence of a symbolic one. Otherwise, she becomes inky smoke and dissipates, along with everything she is wearing and carrying. 24 hours later, she will reform in the exact same place or in the next nearest empty space. So you could just show up every 24 hours. Yeah, if you knock her down, you have 24 hours to get a symbolic yeah. solar eclipse. To then, what, what is a symbolic solar eclipse? I would say something as simple as a painting of it. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a sun elf and a moon elf. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, you talked about the elves named sun and moon. Should you be able to get them together and one in front of the other? I'm sure that's a part of this campaign. I'm sure. Yeah. So... She's a spellcaster, okay? She's got a spell save, DC of 14. At will, she can do detect magic and mage hand. Two times a day, she can cast augury or polymorph each 
And then once per day, she can plane shift, but herself only. So if she gets, if she sees those two elves together, she's going to get the fuck out of town. Yeah. As for attacks, she only has one, but she gets to do it twice because of her multi-attack. And it's called Puppeteer's Lash. It's melee or ranged out to 60 feet. There's a plus six to hit, 4d6 plus three psychic damage. And on a hit, if the target is large or smaller, she can move them 10 feet in any direction horizontally. Okay. Oh, okay. So not up in the air, specifically not. All, I would flavor this to say that it is like suddenly your joints have uh, strings attached. Yes. And she makes you dance like a marionette 10 feet in any direction. Yeah. But she can do this twice and she it doesn't have to be melee for her. So within 60 feet. So so she basically she sits there and says bye, bye, bye and you move away like a marionette? If you're going to be a dick the whole episode, Dan, I'm going to be annoyed, but there's not much else I can do. <laughs> so. We all get one, Adam. We now, all get one. I noticed there's no saving throw on that either. If she hits you, you're moving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the save is have a high AC. Yeah. Right? So Paladins are laughing. Yeah. Until they're not. Because horizontal means that she can't throw you up in the air, but she can walk you off a cliff. Yeah. Yep. And because she gets to do it twice... That 10 feet is really 20, 20 feet. feet. And she's got all sorts of captives. There are cages mm-hmm. and trap doors in the stage and shit. Like. Doesn't, it didn't also say that her castle's at the top of a mountain? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, she she's high altitude to begin with. So pushing you off of a buttress is definitely in her realm of possibility. Also, she's going to be in her ornithopter and flying around. Chances are good your player's going to want to get on hippogriffs and shit to go chase her down <laughs> so yeah. 10 feet horizontally off your off hippogriff your rut. yeah so cool yeah i'm all about that that's a lot of fun so let's grab our dice and let's roll i've got a couple of regular questions that we ask in these monster episodes let's figure out how to use her appropriately in like a homebrew campaign you can roll now oh thank you i got a nat 20 i got a two, two. i got an 11 <laughs> all right dan so dan an environmental encounter or a social encounter for her? Um, I want to have an environmental encounter with her. I want to have this weird... I mean, you, it's baked right in to have this play that has to play out with her and, and um, where she just kind of watches this tragedy. I want that to happen, but with like shifting stage pieces and set pieces that move throughout the stage and move throughout the battlefield. So like an environmental encounter with her is... I guess it could be social too, is acting out a tragedy amongst the table as a player, right? And and having the players put together a show to pro- to provide to her. That is very much a part of the campaign. You have to put on a performance for her. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's just brilliant to me. So like having somebody who is so focused on like the theatrics of tragedy, oh man, I, I like, it lends right into it, right? So... I'm going to say that my favorite thing about social encounters with her is not necessarily with her because, as I said way back at the beginning of my ramble, when people make deals with her, she takes away their ability to do basic tasks. And that can include things like stop crying. So everybody that you run into is going through their own personal tragedy or displaying despair or fear of some sort because she's taken away their ability to get past a basic trauma that they have run into. You can turn this into Barovia pretty quickly. Yeah. Right? The idea of the pure depression that is going to hit all of these. And I think that's brilliant. Especially when you're dealing with the puppets, the people that she has, her captives, that are sitting there with smiles on their faces and tears in their eyes because they cannot 
change their facial expression. Mm-hmm. And she's making them dance a ballet, a great tragedy, right? And she's waiting for the new person to come in who's going to be the next lead because the lead always dies at the end of the play. So the lead always dies at the, the end, end of the, the play. So there we go. This is this is her thing. There's your social encounter. Cool. I also, I mean, we glanced over the environmental bit, the copper rods with lightning and shit. I mean, I'm going to need some flesh golems and shit going on in <laughs> yeah. here. Right, there are some fucking elemental weirds that are in Ravnica that are just amazing. And they're electrical and electricity based. I'm all over this shit. There's also that puppet theater that she has in her lap at all times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like having a social encounter play out with like a play happening in front of your players while that's going. Oh, no. It, because she's also seen the future. The, the play that's happening in her lap, with a good enough investigation check, you can realize that it's set out exactly how you and the party are standing with her right now, and it's all you guys. All the little figures are of you, and every time someone moves, so does a little creature. But her, it moves like watch. a fraction before the person actually moves. Yeah, so it's, mm. it's calling the shots ahead of time. Yeah. That would be so unnerving. Yeah, I wanted to lean into that little marionette stage on her lap and the pulling of the strings... And I'm kind of imagining that she could probably have some sort of effect where you feel like there's some strings that's being attached to you as you're speaking with her. And it might not be there, but it's in your mind. That Well, she right, has mage hand at will. Exactly. So as the DM, I'm kind of imagining like you feel a little pull at the corner of your robe on your like shoulder. This, uh, like a psychosomatic association to the acts of the marionettes. Exactly, yeah. And, so, and then when she hits you with this ability... Mm-hmm. And it does move you 10 yes. feet that just grips you and drags you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you feel it. That's that's kind of the social, environmental aspect that I would lean into. All right. Um, Dan, battle tactics. Battle tactics with her. I mean, we kind of hit the uh, the we kind of hit it on the nose with the ornithopter flying and her sitting around flying on this thing while you're fighting her. I get a kind of Green Goblin vibe on yeah, that. Yeah, that, that, that's where I was going to kind of go. Green Goblin. And remember, she is ultimately still a hag. So she's going to have that weird magic little like trinkets and stuff that she will throw at you from the Ornithopter as she's going. And I choose to believe that every single one of these is in some way, shape, or form linked to marionettes. Right? She's throwing balls of string that erupt as a web. Or she's throwing... I whole- Look, I think it's criminal that she doesn't have darkness... Because yes. that would protect her from a solar eclipse. Yes. Yeah. So that should be... She should have trinkets that, you know, cast darkness. Right? Yeah. So. Um, I also like the the lightning aspect that is briefly mentioned with the lightning rods and pulling in all of this. Which would lead it to bl- me to believe that the, one of the reasons why she has a setup is Yon is a fairly stormy place anyways. Yeah. So there is just dramatic rolling of thunder through the combat anyways and anytime a big beat is hit like every combat with her should feel dramatized in some way shape mm-hmm. or form right and have her narrated as as you're going go a step further and say that the thunder rolls at the same time every day because it highlights and emphasizes actions during the play yeah and she has controlled the weather now to the point where when the character dies thunder rolls and so everyone in yawn knows when the character dies in the play. Mm-hmm. Do you have a battle tactic? Not so much battle tactic, but I'm imagining during combat, she's going to have a bit of bravado, knowing that she can't truly be killed. To her death is more of an inconvenience. 
but she's also going to have the paranoia of looking everywhere. You're going to see her eyes are always dancing and always moving in different directions, looking for anything that may resemble a solar eclipse. Can you imagine, all you have to do is stand in front of the footlights, and she's going to yeah. start to panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, Could, would you allow a player to create an illusory effect of a solar eclipse? Yes, if they know that this is a weakness, fucking yeah. abuse it, man. At yeah. some point, you're going to figure this out. You are, these are CR6, so like, by the time you're fighting these guys, what, I mean... You, you only have access to third level spells, but that can be enough, like, yeah. Yeah. D- depending on which classes are in the party. I'm going to say the other thing... What about your Twilight Domain Cleric? Nah, Twilight Domain is more about existing within the... I suppose. It's like, yeah. a, it's like the Gloom Stalker. They're not creating their own, you know, Night. darkness. Yeah. So, um, my favorite thing for battle for her is going to be her minions. Because I don't think she's going to have standard troll and ogre minions. How many broken dolls and marionettes mm-hmm. and shit are littered all over Curse of Strahd and... Uh, there are a couple of Candlekeep. There's a couple in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. I think there are a couple in this book, even, while beyond the Witchlight. So you have all sorts of dolls and marionettes. Oh, yeah. Plenty of options. Golems and whatnot. I really like that for yeah. her. Dan, do you have a plot hook? Uh, for her, outside of what we get in Wild Beyond the Witchlight, I love the idea, like, pull this character out of this space, put her in, not even Barovia, just a traveling carnival I know it's beyond wild, beyond the witch light, but as the puppet master that comes and entertains the kids uh, th- that comes to town, but add that creepy aspect to it. And she's always looking for volunteers for her play. She's always, uh, even in the village, and, and she especially likes the the children or the people who are down on their luck. So she's like coming in, hiring the children for their first gig or the local homeless person to come and actually make a few coin by just... Go and be the tree in that corner. But then she's working those plays into such a way that that she's adding that tragedy to it. And, of course, she's going to add the party to it, right? And when homeless people are getting taken away, when the children are getting taken away by her, as a traditional hag would have, you're going to want to have your party chase her down and, and, and take out that evil carnival or evil marionette show she has. There's a guy in... Carnival Row that has like a bunch of intelligent marionettes that he uses in his play. I'd go that route with her, and he becomes a key feature just because of what he knows based off the stories he tells. And you could do all sorts of things with a divining marionette player, right? The thing that I really like about her, if I were going to pull her out of this and put her into another one of the campaign settings, I'd put her in Ravnica. Because you have the cult of Rakdos. Oh, yeah. And mm. and they have one thing. That's, it's just like an orgy of violence. That one of the uh, one of the demons there that's part of this carnival is actually out there creating. All of the people within a radius get worked up by the violence that they see and start stabbing and fighting and biting and whatnot. But what do you do with the kids? The kids don't go in there. The kids are dropped off at the puppet show. And anyone's... Who's left at the end when the parents come to pick up the kids and some kids don't get picked up because the parents died in the audience in this freaking just blood splatter massacre. Those kids become part of her show. That's awesome. Oh. I was want to play with the concept you had of the lead actor always dies. So if I were to pull her out of this and put 
her into a homebrew, I would have, again, this traveling carnival puppet show, maybe even in the center of town, there's this show that happens all the time. So I want to play with the idea of a puppet show that's coming to town, but for some reason, every time the puppet show happens, an accident occurs in the nearby vicinity. It's not necessarily part of the presentation, but somebody keeps getting hurt, maimed, dying. And it's not every show, but it's often enough that people are starting to notice, hey, there's something going on here. You're going we're, you're going with like the Phantom of the Opera level. Like, you know, it, the chandelier accidentally fell down. Yeah, exactly. And killed a couple people, right? Like, yeah. it's not her fault. No. It's her fault. But it's not her fault. Well, the, the oxen released from the cart and ran through the crowd and ran over four kids. Right? Something like that. Like just, but these things just keep happening and it's weird. And no one can pin it to the carnival itself because it's obviously not They're part of the show. Accidents. They're freak accidents. Yeah. But it, it's weird that it keeps happening. Hold on. Subvert it a little bit. The actual play, the real foretold production that she has seen the future yes. of is the thing that's happening behind the scenes. And it is all of the workers in the background that are, this one is destined to die. Whoever is going to be in charge of the the lights on stage left is going to be crushed to death. Oh. It doesn't matter what the performance on the stage is, but she needs a performance. So, and it's all of the captives in the background that are pulling the ropes and getting those sandbags to drop cool. at different points. I, like, I, I was also thinking, actually, that triggered my mind. Right, we talked about the numbers and the importance of numbers within the Feywild. So... And with hags specifically. So every four, sh three shows after this play happens, that's when that person seems to die and it seems to be consistent. But no one's quite putting the pieces together until somebody comes up to the party and says, hey, I've noticed this. It's weird. I can't prove anything. Can you take a look at it? something's going on. Yeah. I also love the idea that all of the sound effects are done by a just a choir of Kenku. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, it's Megan. I finally get to do a commercial spot all by myself. Just me, just you, hanging out, talking about commercial stuff. Now Dan and Adam came to me a few days ago and politely asked me if I would record a little blurb about liking and subscribing and leaving reviews on iTunes. And I graciously and humbly agreed because of the kind-hearted and warm person that I am. So here I am asking you to like and subscribe. And let's be real, it took both of them a lot of courage to come and ask me this question because they knew they had to do so with kindness. So please, come along, leave your reviews, comment, tell your friends, buy some merch, however you want to help support the podcast. We love the time we get to spend with you. But don't forget to support some of the others associated with the podcast as well. All their accounts are on Instagram. You can find our logo artist, Katie, at Clementine Art Portraits. The music guy, Tyler, good guy, could use more love at Melodics Music. Uh, you can even find peps uh, at pepperina underscore sparkle gem or even myself on Instagram at omegart, zero M-E-G-G-A-R-T. And of course, you can always go onto the It's a Mimic and harass Adam and Dan there. So remember to take a few minutes for every episode you listen to and boost up those metrics with likes, comments, follows, and subscriptions. And if you have a business, online store, or passion project that you'd like us to show the world, reach out to info at itsamimic.com to buy some ad space here on the podcast. Let's work together to build this community up. All right, who is next? I think it was me, yeah. Yes, it was. So with me, I have Granny Scabatha Nightshade. Is she a granny? She is a granny. Uh, that is what she's better known as, is Granny Nightshade. She is the oldest of the Hourglass Coven and is a twisted, forgetful, immortal toy maker. 
and she's actually part toy herself. Adam, you were mentioning like having all these marionettes and stuff around her. Scabatha literally has something like that with tin soldiers that she's created that are then employed and follow her will at you know without hesitation. This is why I love this book. Yeah. This is giving me fables vibes. Very, Very much, much so. Yeah. She resembles a twisted horrible life-size nanny with a tool-filled gown with petticoats, a bonnet and every lacy frill you can imagine. Her mm. face is heavily painted although her the texture of her skin it says is like bark with like little wood mites and stuff climbing through it. That's delicious. Yeah, um but her skin is painted with a white base and rosy cheeks with big red mascara and face paint. She looks kind of clownish but twisted underneath. More like a geisha than a clown, maybe? Very, yeah, mm. yeah. She also has a large, and this is probably one of the most notable of things. Bosom. Key sticking out of Keister. her back. Like, no, a key. Not a key. Fuck, Brad. <laughs> She's got a big, one of those big, like, charging keys mm-hmm. that you would, like, rotate to get a little well, toy. A wind-up toy. A wind-up toy. You know, she's from, like, 100 years ago. Yeah. She's got one of those sticking out of her back, and it, is, it says it's just as hard to remove that as one of her limbs. So... So it can be done. Yeah. That key, though, can give you a view into her personality. If it is rotating, she is happy. If it speeds up, she's getting happier. If it slows down, she's getting angrier. If it stops, she's furious, and she will swear by her pretty floral bonnet to end you. Okay, cool. How hard would you make that for the players to pick up on? I think your bard would pick up on it pretty quick. I don't. I wouldn't even do that. I would just describe it over and over and over again yeah. until they until put the that players put it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like have it. You say a thing to her, and it speeds up a little bit, or you say a thing that is probably distasteful, and it slows down. Right mm-hmm. now, she. Doesn't ride a broom or vacuum like many other witches and hags. Instead, her mount of choice is a flying rocket horse, wide-eyed and as corrupted a Sorry, toy a as its rider. Rocket horse? Rocking horse. Rocking horse. Oh, okay. I was picturing you sure did. I was picturing something way cooler. <laughs> no, this is just a rocking horse that's heavily painted and flies through the air. And again, it's one of those items that you, as a player, could eventually get and ride. Right? It's not dependent on her power to manifest. Okay. Now, Scabatha likes to make deals with those that are filled with regret, and that you can often find her in her home, in her lair, that is the Loom Lurch on the Fade Demi Plane of Thither, which is in Prismere, right? It, it's part of the Prismere scope here. Loom Lurch is a swamp-made toy shop, theater, and prison. She is, like most hags, a massive loner, but she has s- several small creatures that will serve her. A handful of boggles, red caps, and the animated tin soldiers I mentioned earlier answer her every beck and call. However, she has also befriended a small green dragon wormling named Cradlefall that has an affinity for teleporting between uh, small painted jack-in-the-boxes, popping out, stealing things, and then teleporting to another one. That A sounds annoying, and also Cradlefall sounds very, very devious and upsetting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm pretty sure this is a rocket dragon, by baby, right? Yeah. Well, rocket by baby, according to Dan. Yeah. So, speaking of by babies, she does have some captives. There are several lost children uh, that are bound to Loom Lurch, stolen from the Carnival of Witchlight. However, these kids do not age and are relatively safe and healthy under Granny Nightshade's care, but they are forever bound to her will and whimsy. Any that leave will disappear huh right so this isn't this isn't a 
Lost Boys, Peter Pan feel entirely. There are rules written in the Wild Beyond the Witchlight that say that if if one of these kids ever is freed and is not returned home within a certain amount of time, they will disappear from existence and just fade into nothingness and no one will ever remember they existed. That is actually kind of Peter Pan. Yeah, Do you know the good. real thing about the Lost Boys? Is they keep aging, right? They don't they don't stay young forever in Neverland. They keep aging. And when they turn, I can't remember if it's 16 or 18, Peter Pan gets real upset with them for doing that. That is a betrayal. And he will either kill them or they will escape and then become a pirate, at which point he will try to kill them to the end of their days. Cool. Which is why he's always replacing Lost Boys and they're always so young. But they do age out. And then he fucking murders them. Yeah, it's not... Peter Pan's not the... Disney uh, didn't quite present it quite right. Uh, Disney did a very bad thing in Peter Pan. And I can't recommend that anybody watches Peter Pan. Yeah. Mm, Oh, that's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mechanically, Scabatha is a medium neutral evil fey hag. She is a CR 8 with fairly weak AC of 16 that she supplements with a massive pool of hit points. 20d8 plus 60. She has deceptively high strength, like all hags, as well as powerful con, wisdom, and charisma stats. And while she's no dummy, her int of 12 is her lowest stat, if you don't include her massive dump stat of a 9 in dex. Dex is what you're going to want to target on her for saves too, as she has bonuses to all saves but strength and dex. Fortunately as well, she doesn't seem to have any other resistances, Although, like her sisters, she does have true sight up to 60 feet all around her. Like other hags, she is immortal, but she is doubly immune to aging itself. She's kind of forever 79, and no effect or spell can change that. As for action, she can make two claw attacks with a multi-attack. Each has a plus 7 to hit, with a 66 plus 4 poison damage to each claw. She also has a handful of spells outside of her coven spells that she can cast a few times a day. She can, at will, detect magic, druidcraft, and speak with animals. A couple times a day, she could polymorph, remove curse. Oh, there we go. Finally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And speak with plants. Finally, once a day, she she could cast Awaken and Plane Shift. If you can speak with plants and speak with dead, and you cast them at the same time, can you talk to furniture? I don't know. Did Anis Hag make it? Uh, Call back. Oh. Go back to go back yeah, to episode that's, three. That's not that's not cool. <laughs> Could you imagine her talking to a rocking horse though? I a hundred percent. I assume she does. she does. Now whether or not it talks like, back. Yeah, but the idea that it like talks back. I have a feeling with a lot of the druidic feel she has. She's got this druid craft. She's got speak with plants. She's got sorry, speak with animals and speak with plants. I have a feeling a lot of the like she coaxes the wood that she uses in her creations. Yeah, she does. And I, I think that's part of it, and especially with spells like Awaken. I 100% think she talks to things because she awakens them, right? Awaken that wood. Exactly. Also, as a bonus action, and by the way, this is my cool, my favorite thing about her, she can shrink herself to four to eight inches tall. That's average. Yeah. <laughs> or back again to normal size, uh, probably with a little blue pill. Uh, when she is this size, her damage done from her claws changes to 1d4, and... She has advantage on stealth and disadvantage on strength-related nonsense. Otherwise, all of her stats will stay the same. And she can do this whenever she wants. Just at will. At well, will. I guess bonus As action. As a bonus but... action, right? As for role-playing tips, Witchlight gives us the traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. 
For traits, she chooses to appear as a kindly old grandma when dealing with outsiders. Her ideals tell her that children are better off working for her rather than developing bad habits. And as a bond, she may hate her sisters, but she firmly believes that they are all stronger together. Finally, she is forgetful as a flaw, but also mechanically. The first creature that Scabatha sees every day after a long rest is invisible to her, including her true sight, and she forgets even seeing that character at all. This lasts until she takes another long rest. She cannot perceive the first creature she sees at the beginning of a day for that entire day in any way. Does she know that? I would say no. Does her Do her sisters know that? Probably. Pro- they've probably used it to their own advantage. They have also probably, like, these are hags. they got to one-up on each other, right? Mm-hmm. I can totally picture one of the other ones having a creature like a pet that can spy on her that is going to sleep in her lap every night. So when she wakes up, she then sees the cat or whatever, yeah, yeah. chicken, whatever it is, forgets that it exists, and then it spies on her for the rest of the day. Yeah. I think because she surrounds herself with all of these red caps and boggles and various other little creations of hers, whatever that first creature is that that is spying on her would have to get out of there pretty quick as soon as that's done, or at least get into a hiding spot just to continue spying. Or it'd be innocuous enough that they wouldn't care that it's there or notice. Or be one of these boggles or red caps or something that's mm-hmm. in her employ normally. Like it says she has six boggles that are in her employ. Ah, let's make it seven. Right? Yeah. So that's everything we have on Scabatha. All right. So grab dice. I got questions. I got a five. Fourteen. One. All right. Daniel, environment or social? Um, What kind of encounter really speaks to you in this? I'm going Wizard of Oz 2 level weird toy shop nonsense. Right? Environmental. I'm I'm doing a, a hunt through a toy land of some sort. Like trying to solve several clockwork puzzles and gizmos that are running some massive toy that she's created. Or or her house in the Loom Lurch is all based around this weird clockwork and magical nonsense. I would have an environmental encounter just to like find her or some MacGuffin in her power that is involving this, right? Like I'm having doors closed i'm having little tunes play that your characters have to mimic out and play back i'm uh, you have to play games with her right and that's a test she doesn't want to fight you she's not here to fight you she presents herself as a kindly grandma so she's gonna and like it says kindly she's there to help right she's not here for the fight you get through her like gauntlet of toy bullshit She's going to give you whatever you want. You've, you've proved yourselves, right? I mean, there's probably going to be a catch and she's going to catch you in it in the end of the, end of the day because she's still a hag. But there's there, she's here to help you. I think that for her, she knows you're coming because all the hags always do. Yep. Mm-hmm. But instead of sending minions out to spy on you, I think that there's just this old woman riding a rocking horse 300 feet in the air watching you all day. And at night, she goes home and she goes to bed. But the next day at dawn, the rocking horse flies again and she just follows you. Or maybe I'd reverse that. Maybe it sits there in front of the moon and she watches you all night. She won't intervene. She's just watching. But then she goes to bed during the day. She disappears. Travel at day, not by night. 
Hmm. Right? I really like the idea of this the flying hags that are watching all of the time, but have her actively partaking. And especially, well, especially if you have an artificer. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you want an artificer to be part of this encounter, no matter what you do. Yeah, the gnome tinkerer will be a distant second, but still. Yeah, I like the environmental effect, but I'm picturing a bunch of toys that are lined up. We talked about wooden soldiers or tin soldiers, and they're lining the halls, right? As these almost like knights that just, they're inanimate. But as you walk by, you hear these little whispers, almost like tin men. Okay, but it's help me. But they have, <laughs> but they have this fear. They can't actually move. They're frozen solid, and the reason they're frozen solid is because of fear. Because they fear the incinerator. Oh, cool. Okay, right. So within this toy shop, bad toys, the malformed toys, end up in the incinerator. Oh, there's an Azure that works there for her. Oh, <laughs> that that mans the furnaces. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Dan, do you have a battle tactic? A battle tactic. I mean. When it comes to battle with her, her the big thing that she has is her ability to alter her size at will um, and gain advantage on stealth, right? And I'm using this to my advantage to position her where she needs to be. She doesn't move particularly fast. She only moves her 30 feet around. But I'm upset that that doesn't change when she shrinks. Yes. But she is also a toy maker. I just see you fighting her in a room full of little dolls that look like her, and she is one of them. And then she pops up, scrapes the fuck out of you, and then fucks off. And that's all she does. You're fighting her in her element. I like the idea, too, of her uh, actually presenting herself as a toy to be carried around by you for seven or eight sessions before she reveals herself to be the hag. Yeah, I mean... There's a, there's a little homunculus that looks exactly like her. She's presented as such. You get stats for living dolls in Wild Beyond the Witchlight? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm using these with her. No, I like it. As far as uh, battle goes for her, she is going to consistently be retreating. Yes. Yeah. Hit and run. Yeah, she's very much the, I'll let my minions do, I can always build more minions. Mm-hmm. So I think that much like Shredder, she is just going to <laughs> throw minions and not give a shit how well they, they fare. This will be a fight of attrition. If you are in her realm, the toy soldiers should never stop coming. If they're coming for you. I also like the idea of you, you see the toy soldiers that are all lined up. And then all of a sudden a portal opens behind one of them. And a boggle hand pops out, winds a key, and then back through the portal yeah. again. Oh, yeah. So they're, sitting, they're just winding up and... Every single round, another toy soldier activates. Can you kill them before you're overwhelmed? Interesting. Cool. I took note of the fact that when she shrinks, she may be losing some of her physical stats, but she's still spellcasting. Yep. So she's going to be hard to spot with the advantages of stealth. She's going to pop out. She's going to cast spells at you. She's going to wear you down. And you're not going to know where everything's coming from. Adam mentioned hit and run. Dan, you mentioned the, you know, hiding amongst the toys. I'm going to use both of those. And again, we're all on the same page with let's get as many of these minions out there because her minions are doing her dirty work. Yeah. And if she's going to do it herself, I don't know that she wants you to know that it's her. Okay. Dan, do you have a plot hook? With her? Outside of Wild Beyond Outside of this? A broken cursed doll that you need to get Saul, that you need to fix or find the origins of, right? Like uh, you want to have Chucky or Annabelle in one of your games 
it's going to be tied to her, right? So that is going to be the plot hook I use. There is a cursed doll that is going throughout a village and you need to get rid of it. And to get rid of it, you need to take her out. Okay. Honestly, I'm going to use her as some sort of merchant. She has a toy shop mm -hmm. in the village. People know that you don't go there to buy toys. She lures children in there with toys in the window, but you don't go in to buy toys. You go in there to make bargains. Mm -hmm. And she has red caps show up in the tavern to slip a business card to the artificer. Come talk to me. Oh, I've got a bargain for you. I would honestly not use her as a combatant. No. no if no, I'm no. if I'm not going to have her in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I'm going to have her just as a really interesting NPC. The key in the back bothers me. I know that the barbarian's going to try to grab it and stop it when it's spinning. And then what happens? He spins with it. Like it's absolutely out of, like you can't stop it moving. Actually, I guess it would technically slow down because she's more angry. Yeah. Yeah, but he's going to try to spin it the other way. It's like doing the same thing to an arm. Yeah, but what happens when you dislocate the key? Right? Like, this is a problem for me. Also, the fact that if she falls 10 stories and lands on the key, is it going to punch through her chest? Or snap. It'll snap. I like the idea of it punching through her chest. As a, as a like, a descriptive end to her in a combat? Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, it snaps. I yeah. just... I, the key is really interesting to me. I, as a player, would sit there and say, what can I do to fuck with this? I think if you... I will put in a movable rod, like, oh. against it. <laughs> yeah. I think if you move her out of this, you take the key out. I think that's the easiest way to deal with that. I would have it be so that, you know, you find the key out in the woods and you need to resurrect her by putting the key back in. Yeah. I like that. And twisting it, right? Yeah. All right. I'm going to, if I'm putting her outside of this, I'm taking a page out of Pinocchio's book. There is a toy that insists that it is a real child. And it says, I know the person who made me and who can undo this. It's a blue fairy dragon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah, and so they bring you back, and sure enough, here you are face-to-face. -face cool. With the hag. And... She's just about as evil as Geppetto is. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Like, I am picturing her the Geppetto type. Yeah, she is probably one of the nicest hags we've covered. Whoa. No, no, no. Geppetto no, no. is evil is where I'm coming from on this. Oh, he yeah. He is straight she... up a fucking bad guy. Yeah. Through and through. Selfish old motherfucker that says, hey, you know what? I want a real son. That's all I want in the whole world. Oh, we got it granted. By the way, I'm not going to teach you anything. You don't even know where school is. You don't know what an apple is. You are just told, hey, you know what? You need to have this like moral compass that'll magically turn you into a real boy. Go to school. And nobody in the village is sitting there wondering why this crazy old man by himself that makes severely weird like uh cuckoo clocks do you guys remember in disney where there's the one where it like strikes noon or whatever it is and then it's suddenly a child getting spanked yes over and over again and he desperately wants but no one's worried about jepetophile about this like i'm I, I have some real issues hey my son has got fucking lost out in the woods where it's the first place i'm gonna look the fucking ocean what is that shit about? <laughs> Geppetto is at best negligent and at worst fucking evil. So I, well, I, 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 I have I, regrets. No, I'm with you. But she, Geppetto kind of seems bumbling. The, so does she. Like she doesn't, she's not like that active evil that uh, we've seen with Annis Hags and we've seen with. She genuinely she's thinks she's self-involved. She's, she's very self-involved. She genuinely yeah. thinks she's helping these children. Yeah. She genuinely thinks that locking up children so that they don't age for eight, like ever, and that they help her with her crafting. 
is, is good for them. It's better than them aging and becoming terrible people. Yeah, why would they want to? Uh, why would they want to develop bad habit, bad habits? And like, go out to school with all the like, kids are dicks, but you're not allowed to lie. Like, what the fuck? He should like Pinocchio needed a fucking crash course in life. Before Geppetto was like, get the fuck out, I'm busy now. Uh, all I ever wanted was a real boy. Ah, uh, fuck it, no, I don't care anymore. Okay, This so is one of those things where like you desperately want the item and you buy it and you get home and you're like, why did I buy this shit yeah. again? <laughs> right, except you created a fucking thing with a soul. Like, this is just... Well, if, if you want to chime in on this or talk to us about other types of severely evil good guys in Disney movies... You could reach out to us at our Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. You can also reach out to us at our email at info at It's a Mimic dot com, where you can ask some mailbag questions, which we will have on our uh, mailbag episodes. All right, Brad, take us home. All right, so I have the final hag of the trio of the coven, Bavlorna Blightstraw, also known as Slackjawed Lorna. She's the middle daughter you okay there, Dan? Cletus, the slack-jawed yeah. Slack-jawed is always going to be ruined now because of the Simpsons. Yeah, that's fair. Bavlorna is the middle daughter of Baba Yaga, which I don't think we mentioned. Oh, all three of these are daughters of Baba Yaga. Yes. Official daughters of Baba Yaga. Official daughters of Baba Yaga, yeah. She, are they official daughters of Baba Yaga, they're, yeah? They're, no, yeah. they're not. <laughs> Bav- Call me up for being a fucking dick in the episode. And you- <laughs> You're goddamn right I will. Every fucking time. I get to be a dick. You don't get to be a dick. Just me and Geppetto beating dicks over here. Fuck you, Dan. Did you right? say, did you, sorry, did you say beating dicks? No, I did not. Did each other. That's, that's what I heard. Lie to me, Pinocchio. <laughs> Family guy ruined that forever. Bavlorna earned her nickname Slackjaw due to the fact that her mouth is almost always wide agape. And often... <laughs> you guys okay? No. no. <laughs> Didn't think you would be. And it is often seen with flies and other insects flying in and out of it. Gross. You good? Yeah. Yeah? You guys good? Okay. Her face is described as being toad-like, and her open mouth allows her to swallow small creatures whole. Like like small sized creatures, small cut sized creatures. So gnomes and halflings and gnomes are in trouble. Cool. Is, is that mechanical yes. on her? Mechanical. Sweet. We will get to it. Her eyes are constantly moving, though not always in the same direction. Very chameleon like, I, I suspect. Yes, she is always scanning her environment for moving things. She has leathery, almost mummified skin and has thin, long reaching limbs. She must daily be submerged in a brine or risk her body locking up completely. Should this happen, she then must be submerged before she can move again. As she dries out, her skin makes an audible cracking sound, and when she moves, her movement slowly decreases over the day until she freezes up completely. Interestingly, this doesn't have an actual mechanical, this is more flavor, but you can kind of just see her limbs move a little more slowly. As yeah, she dries up. Closer to the end of the day, I would have her, like, I would reduce her speed. I, I would and, as like, well. have you forecast her movements by, you just hear a creak and a groan. Yeah, a crackle. A is crackling the, noise, The way yeah. it's described. Bevlorna is the hag of the present, and she is often sought to resolve an ongoing stress or trouble. Yeah, it, it, that's interesting. We haven't really brought that up. Whereas, um, for me, Endelin was obsessed with the future. The future. And yours, Dan, is all about the past. It's all about the past, yes. yeah. So we're dealing with the present here with Bevlorna. Time is a big thing with the coven. Mm-hmm. Well, well they're called the Hourglass Coven. Yeah. yeah. 
which I don't think we touched on quite as much as we maybe could have. While she absolutely hates having visitors, tragic visitors pique her interest enough that she will be willing to strike a deal, often resolving their issues in return for something that suits her desires. Bavlorna is allergic to running Wittershins. The fuck is a Wittershin? If she witnesses a creature running in circles counterclockwise on the spot, she will enter a sneezing fit. Running counterclockwise in a spot is called a Wittershin. Well, (laughs) you'll learn something new every day, don't you? Yeah. She makes her home in Downfall, which is her realm, and she surrounds herself with Bollywugs in the area. Very swamp-like. We mentioned she's toad-like. Yeah, she she very much has that toad feel to her. Yes, and if you look at the art... She oh, has yeah. a very toad-like face. Now, is Downfall just the name of her lair Downfall within is the na- Hither? Correct. Yes, she is within Hither, and Downfall is her lair. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. For mechanics, she has a CR of 7, an AC of 15, and has 13d8 plus 52 hit points for an average of 110. Cool. She has a swim speed, given the fact that she's an aqua- amphibious creature, of 30 feet equal to her standard movement, and has true sight up to 60 feet, just like her sister's. She speaks common, elvish, and sylvan. Also like her sisters. Also like her sisters. Her primary stat is strength with a plus six, followed by con. Int is not far behind that. And then charisma, wisdom, and dex. Dex being her weakest with a zero modifier. She is amphibious and cannot be magically aged or die of old age just like her sisters. Cool. Bavlorna has beefed up constitution, intellect, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. Yep. So that's that's a pretty beefy stat line there. Uh, and is skilled in arcana. Deception, perception, and stealth. It's the same thing for um, for Endolin as well, and and uh, Scabatha. Yeah. So there's yeah. a constant theme here. For attacks, Bavlorna can make a bite attack with a plus nine modifier, dealing two d six plus six piercing damage to any creature within five feet. If the attack hits, the creature is also grappled, and should they be medium size or smaller, they are also restrained. She also has a Withering Ray attack, which is a ranged spell with a range of 60 feet and has an attack modifier plus 6. If it hits, it deals 4d6 plus 3 necrotic damage. Yikes! Each turn, Barvelona can both make a Bite attack and a Withering Ray attack. Recharging on a 5 or 6, she can create one or two duplicates of herself. Interestingly, it, doesn't, it says one or two, and I think that's likely due to the cap, which I'll get to in a moment here, but... She can create one or two duplicates of herself, which she calls Lornlings. These Lornlings use the Quickling stat block and last for an hour, and she can have up to eight of them active at any given time. They act on her initiative. And they they run with the stats of Quicklings? Correct. Which move 80 feet around. Correct. But these guys are tiny size. They are Mm -hmm. tiny size. Yeah. Yeah. Also worth noting is that these tend to exist outside of combat, and she will use them as her spies within her realm. She'll run them around, They'll use, she'll use them to gather information for her, and she can have it up to eight of them spying on you. Tiny size are going to be hard to spot. Mm-hmm. They move very quickly. They're going to be great at getting information. If they, It says they last for an hour. Now, I would have this as a flavor where they dry out. Yes, very right? much like herself. So, so like yeah. when she summons these things, when she creates the Lordlings, they're kind of like wet bags of vaguely frog-looking flesh. Uh, no, they specifically, they look like her. Yeah, well, I mean, she looks yeah, like a wet bag fair. of vaguely yeah. frog-shaped flesh. Fair. Um, and they run, and, and they are brilliant, but as they, it's getting close to the end of that hour, you start hearing that crickling noise, that 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 drying out of flesh mm-hmm. as they're running back and forth and doing their thing. Like, And then when it ends, they're basically just like they a little raisin. Freeze up and right? dry up. Yeah. I, I also like want it. them to be naked. 
There's no reason. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. So like, just creepy little naked, one foot tall versions of her running around super fast, just just frog titties flapping in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna see these things before you see her. So. You're gonna you're gonna hear them before you see them too. <laughs> and then eventually crackle crackle. <laughs> Snap crackle pop. Yeah. Being a hag, Bavlorna is also a spellcaster and has the ability at will to detect magic. Twice per day, she can create food and water, cast polymorph, or again remove curse. So here's another opportunity Good. where yep. hags can remove curses. They finally figured out that, hey, they should probably be able to do this. Did Endolin have the ability to nope. remove curse? No, she really didn't. Also, interestingly enough, I think she's the last one that you meet in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Yes. She's at the very end, and she's a lower CR than the first two. Yeah, it's... Written in Wild Beyond the Witchlight that they actually, as soon as the battle turns against them, they flee. Yeah. Right? If it's going to even start coming to blows, they flee. And often to each other. So you never see... It's like the Three Little Pigs. Yeah. It very much is. And then at the end of all three, they then go to the very last place we'll, that we'll talk about in a minute. But like it's... They may be low CR, but you're fighting them as a group hmm. often. So the other thing once a day she can do is plane shift. Now, lastly, as a bonus action, Bavlorna can swallow a small or smaller creature that she is grappling. They are then blinded and restrained and cannot be attacked from the outside. Each turn, they will take 3d6 acid damage. She can also swallow her own Lornlings, gaining all of their memories when their HP hits zero. So I talked about them acting as spies. This is how she gains that information from them. They don't actually communicate to her. Can you just picture her like walking up and seeing one of the dried ones on the ground? Yeah. In the middle of talking, she just reaches down, picks yeah. it up, pops, pops it in, in her, her mouth. mouth. Right. Yeah. It's already at zero hit points, so she just instantly goes, oh, okay. So there are only two ways to escape being swallowed by Bavlorna. One is obviously when she dies, you will emerge prone five feet from her. Alternatively. Which end? Out of the mouth, the one that you were okay. swallowed out of, I would presume. Yeah. I think God, that's a safe I, bet. I hope. <laughs> the alternative, as I mentioned earlier, is she is allergic to running Wittershins. So should you do that in front of her, she will have a sneezing fit and spit out whatever is in her mouth or has been swallowed by her. Interestingly, there's not a freaking mechanic for doing enough damage from inside. No, yeah, there's nothing. Which is standard for swallow. Yeah, which is, why I, which is why I made a point of... Um, that said, you can technically attack from inside, but you're blinded, so you're going to have disadvantage. So if she goes down to zero hit points, because you can still do the damage from the inside... But yeah, but she's going to be doing more damage than you are. Oh, absolutely. But basically, yeah, you're not. You can try and contribute, but odds are you're not going to be help, very helpful from yeah. that point. Just like pressing your face against the thing, run in a circle. Yeah, assuming that you know that this is her weakness. Yes, it's true. To do so, you actually have to spend ten feet of movement running on the spot. So you don't actually move, but you spend ten feet of movement and you run counterclockwise. You also have to be within ten feet of her. Yes, do you it. do. Yes, you need to be within 10 feet of her in order for her to see it. I guess she's nearsighted. That said, she still has Or at least it, for it to trigger the, yeah. the allergic yeah. reaction, right? Yeah, you could yeah. run in circles 15 feet away. It's not mm-hmm. quite so bad. I get stuffy, but I'm it's not like, going to stop it. Yeah. Just stop. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do that any closer. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah. As part of the allergies as well, she is unable to cast spells until the end of her next turn if this happens. Oh man, if if you if your party finds out that this is a trait of hers, you just have the monk or the rogue yes. just at the start of every one of their turns, zip in a circle and then attack her. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> she also like the, her sisters has a mount. Now her mount is a magical lily pad that is 10 feet in diameter and can carry up to 300 pounds. And this lily pad can basically float like a boat. It can move on land or it can fly. 
Yeah. It, it, won't, it won't do underwater, but it'll do the surface of it. And by fly, it's actually like lifted up on tendrils of like seaweed. Yeah. It's almost like it's walks. walking on like yeah. long cool. tendril legs. And it needs spoken directions in order to be driven. No, stupid, go left. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I choose to believe that uh, Scabatha at one point awakened one of these things and like just made it so it just hates the direction. So she goes, turn left, and this thing turns right. And why is everything a Three Stooges fucking episode for you, Dan? Because I enjoy the whimsy of life, Adam. Do you? Because every time I see him, I'm like, hey, Dan, how's it going? It's been a day, let me tell you. <laughs> I am also a construction worker. <laughs> so, let's grab dice and let's go over the uh, the questions again. I can't hit the board, apparently. It's a 19 for Adam. Five for me. All right, so... No, six, nine for you, five for me. I was oh, the red one. Oh, right, yeah. So, I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, clearly environmental is your near swamp. Yes. Like, everything should be amphibious. You have bullywugs for a reason. Mm -hmm. Play with that. Remember, that makes everything more dangerous. If you're by water, your players are in danger. You will not only be able to separate them from each other, but anything that they're not holding on to is going to get lost. Right? There's a lot of shit you can get up to in a swamp environment. But when it comes to social encounters, I can't imagine she's being too social about anything. Right, This one, of the three of them, is the combat. Right? She's got spies until you run up against her and then she's going to fight you. Yeah. That I, said, she does like to strike a deal with tragic, right? Being in the present, she likes to solve problems. So if you come to her with a problem, she's going to want to. Yeah. And I would say, like, you go to her for information. And the way I choose to play this out in my games is you go to her, you ask her that sort of information. She goes, oh, one second, I know. And then grabs the husk the decrepit form of one of her lornlings off the shelf, eats it, ruminates for a minute and goes, here's your information, right? Mm. Like really play into that fact that she's absorbing the memories of these little spies. Well, hold on. What are her actual like traits and, and stuff like the background? Oh yeah. I didn't really touch on her ideals. Um, so her personality trait is I detest chores and would rather have other creatures do them for me. Hence the lornlings. <laughs> yeah. Her, Ideal is, I don't care about the past or the future. I live in the present. What I do now, this very moment, is all that matters. Her bond is, I'm safe in my cottage. Why should I leave it when I can make others come to me? Okay. And her flaw, watching someone run Wittershins makes me sneeze uncontrollably. Okay, so pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm still not getting a whole lot of, like, social encounter shit. Like, you gotta come to me. I've got a bunch of minions and I don't want to do anything. I don't think she's got big, long schemes and plans. This is the most short-sighted of all of the hags we've talked about in these mm -hmm. episodes. So it's going to be very immediate gratification or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Having something as simple as like a really interesting, tasty meal yep. should be able to oh, get yeah, you what you want. Her. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't want much from life. As yeah. much as she does like tragedy, right? Yes. She likes to be helpful if she can. I really like to lean in as well to the environmental we're in a bog you're gonna have those creatures but we mentioned as well i don't i don't know if you necessarily touched on it but when you're in a bog if you get knocked down unconscious and you're making death saves if your face is underwater i'm saying you're automatically failing them oh yeah clearly yes yeah. right so that is something to take into account with the environmental well when you add on top of that like paralyzing venoms from snakes and and mm -hmm. 
mosquitoes, all sorts Sturges, of fuck. Dan's favorite. God, I hate them. So, like, there's so much that could go wrong for your characters Absolutely. very quickly. So, like, yeah, she might be ugly and she might be, um, like, I, she's not exactly, so, like, she doesn't pack a big punch really anywhere in her uh, mechanics, but she's just durable and will last the battle. I don't know, man. She's, she's got that withering ray. Yeah, 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 the withering ray is going to yeah. And she gets to make that and the bite attack per turn. Right. The, yeah. and, the, and the fact that she can swallow the small creature whole. Yeah. Like, there's a lot. If you got on. Dan. I'm going to. Rude. I'm going to, like, swallow the gnome bard. And which then, is being played by Dan. Which is being played by Dan. <laughs> the gnome bard might enjoy it. But, like, he's getting swallowed. And then, you know, sitting there and just withering rang the thing while you're like, no, don't come this way. Right? Like, just trying to talk with her mouth full. Like, there's so much. Like, there's some pretty cool things you could do with her in that in that respect but uh for me she's a lot of these guys like i know you got to fight them by the end of this but i just want to use them as social encounters more than anything else like each of them has such great well well beyond the Witchlight is built so that you don't have to fight anybody yes. the entire thing if you don't want to yeah so the thing that i want to point out here as far as battle tactics goes is she's going to swallow someone whole then she's going to get up on this bobbing lily pad and she's going to go 20 feet up in the air so that your Wittershins mm-hmm. is not going to be affected. You cannot get within 10 feet of her. And then she's just going to sit there and digest with the Withering Ray. That is how I'm going to get the, the instant kill. Will she absorb the memories of anyone she eats? No, it specifically says only her Lornlings. I might change that. Yeah, I'm in changing my, that. Yeah, in my own campaign, I may change that. And and yeah. and because she is so obsessed with the tragedies of people's lives, I like that is a motivating factor to her. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, she just wants to eat to understand the tragedies of that person's life. Yeah, but not the past because she's really about the present. She's about dealing with the issue at hand. Yeah, what is causing you stress or anxiety right now? She's basically a therapist. It's a very strange way of looking at it. Uh, combat. Again, we talked about these hags all seem to kind of have a hit and run mentality, right? Yeah. They're going to do what they can to, you know, mitigate the situation. But as soon as they're at a disadvantage, they're getting out of there. And I would kind of pull from the green hag playbook a little bit with her being able to disappear into the water. Yeah, she has a green hag feel to her already. She is not a green hag. But I would, that's something I would probably pull and use. Like, as soon as she's in the water, she can just disappear without a trace. Mm-hmm. I would want to give her that ability, at least within her own domain. Yeah, I, I see her as, uh, you hit the nail on the head there with Green Hag. I think she is a Green Hag, is kind of the base she's based off of. But what I see from her is the all of the Lornlings, she could have up to eight of these things at a time. And yeah, they use the Quickling stats. But quickling, quicklings aren't really pushovers, right? No, they're so decent. Like, she is going to be using action economy in her favor in this regard, right? There's four players. Well, you're outnumbered two to one, right? And you've got the hag to deal with. And the bullywogs. And the bullywogs. And the giant frogs. And the lizards, right? Like, it, it's there's so much you could do with her combat-wise. Okay, when it comes to plot hooks, though, I'm going to lean into this whole... See, I don't think she's a therapist. You keep bringing it up. Oh, it was a, that was a joke. No, 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 but, but yeah. like, she's obsessed with tragedy, but really, she doesn't want unannounced visitors, right? She no. doesn't want people to come by. She wants to be left alone. If you've got an issue, you come to me. Fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. And I'm getting pampered by all my minions because I won't the one doing anything myself. 
So I feel like she's more hedonism bot than mm. anything else. Until someone shows up and she doesn't want to deal with them until they have the tale of woe. Yes. Right? And at that point, the misery will pique her interest and she'll solve it. But I think she solves it as, like, and the hidden catch is however she helps you solve it, it there's a worse tragedy it's around. It's going to cause more misery. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's got to be how I, how I come at this with her. So there's going to be, like, my plot hook is all of the villagers nearby or whatever... They're all dealing with this personal, like, hi, how are you today? Terrible. Oh, my God. And, like, there's always this this tale of it. It, it. it was bad. My brother was dying before. And he's better now, thank God. But my wife and son are dying now, and that's real bad. <laughs> oh, and man. Like, and, uh, no, and then they got better, but our crops all died. And so, <laughs> like, and it's going to be consistently, she's going to replace whatever your past tragedy is with a, new with a present tragedy that's even worse. And I think that's how... Um, she's going to play it, and so everyone around is going to have this tale of woe, but I would also have this all be curses. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that if you go kill her, all of the tragedies, everything that she's made, now stops. Yeah. Right. For for me, if I'm pulling her out of Wild Beyond the Witchlight and putting her in a campaign, she is a queen of bullywugs. That, that is what she is, right? Uh, yeah, she's a hag, but like she has got all that great amphibious feel to her so i'm just using her as a queen of bullywugs i'm using her as a queen of grungs i'm using her as some sort of like royalty for them and i might take away some of the like personality i wouldn't traits. do grung grung is too neutral yeah fair enough bullywugs then yeah bullywugs right? fit maybe even like give her a little bit more uh fishy feels and make her just be like the leader of a banalokatha or oh my god she she doesn't have these little lordlings she's got unhatched eggs yeah that she's mm. sitting on on top of the freaking bobbing lily pad she pulls one out pops it open sets her little minion out but it's premature so it only lasts for right. an hour yeah and then yeah. she goes by she eats it and goes next yeah new lessons to be learned right like of, of all of them she is the one that i could be like eh, i mean she's haggy but she could not be and it's not that hard to make her not be yeah yeah i see that I'm picturing, if you're pulling her out of the setting, she is going to be the hermit in the woods that people know that if they have a really pressing issue, they can go to her. Mm -hmm. And she always fixes it, but it just, it's never quite satisfying. Your problem will be dealt with, but you don't walk out of there feeling good, right? There's just something weird about it. She never does anything to you directly, but for some reason, every time someone has an interaction with her, they just... It, it's like when you finally get out of that that two hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And yeah, you, you declare bankruptcy, so it goes away. But like, but fuck, life's I got still not ten good. years of this shit to deal with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like everything, the cost is just you're not uplifted, but the problem is technically resolved. Yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up? So one of the things we didn't mention is the fact that I mean they are a coven, so they have some shared spells, and for. The most part, when you will finally take the three of them out, it will be a fight against the three of them together. You're not, if, unless you are extremely lucky, you're not going to be able to kill one, move on to the next one, kill one, move on to the next one. I also feel like Prismere is, well, hey, they all have plane shift, so they're going to clop out together yeah. right yeah. later. But I also feel like Prismere isn't big enough to justify the fact that they're separate. Yeah, okay. Well, I would just have them always have their coven spells. Remember, when one dies, nobody gets the coven spells anymore. Yes. Okay. 
that might be a bit too powerful though, because the coven spells they get are detect thoughts, dispel magic, finger of death, glibness, locate creature, and mass suggestion. Glibness is by far my favorite addition to that. Yeah, uh, you can have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Finger of death is. It's a different kind of fun, Dan. Well, no, it's it's super powerful. Is it right? Is it finger of le petit mort? No, no, okay. it's just a finger of death. Okay. So, like, whenever you encounter them, they're going to have the ability to cast these spells by rules within when they're within thirty feet of each other. They can cast these spells. That is going to add significantly to the power. And we see with normal hags in normal covens, their CRs usually increase by two. Two, yeah. And yeah. They're under CR'd as it is. These guys, I think, are a little bit better built to that. I don't. I wouldn't claim that these guys are significantly under CR'd. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe a little. I don't depends know on how well you play the environment. Yeah, yeah. Depends on how well, smart you I play mean, them. That's as, always the case. Standard course, with monsters, but, yeah. Right. So the one thing I would uh, mention is again DMs, as we've said with every single one of these hags episodes, be very cautious of how you're going to use these coven spells because it's under CR'd. Finger of death in and of itself is you, once per you day. You are going to, this is going to be a CR 13 encounter if you're fighting the three of them. Yeah. You got to remember all those spells are once per day and that's shared amongst them. Doesn't matter. Dispel magic alone is going to fuck up your artificer, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. like there's some decent, like. Mass suggestion. Yeah. One of your party is going to fail that role. I, I want to remind you. You can target magical items that the players are wearing or carrying with dispel magic. Yep. Yes, you can. Which means suddenly the paladin shield, the wizard staff, uh, all of this shit now is just mundane, and that's a problem. So yeah, you can really go. I wouldn't necessarily do that wild beyond the witchlight, but if I'm gonna pull these guys out to be their own big bads, I will totally 100% do that. And remember, you are fighting them on the top of Motherhorn. If the three of them are together in Wild Beyond the Witch yep. Light. Right? So you're on top of a mountain in a dark, creepy theater. And they all have dozens of minions. So that's all for our discussion on hags. Next time we circle back to monsters, we're going to break it up and focus on some of the prettier and more palatable creatures in Dungeons & Dragons. Which is good. Because I'm a little tired of the ugly, warty, wrinkly kind of monsters. You know, we're going to sit down and we're going to do some fine dining and reason conversation with fucking trolls. Fuck, oh hell. Okay, you know what? We're going to make that a Dave and Megan problem. Anyway, make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Uh, next week, we'll be sitting down to go over some of the downtime activities that you and your party might partake in in between adventures. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community, so please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Now, in episode 150, we detailed the lore behind Igwilv, a.k.a. Tasha, a.k.a. the daughter of Baba Yaga, a.k.a. the Witch Queen, a.k.a. the Witch of Perrinland, a.k.a. the Dream Witch, a.k.a. Natasha the Dark, a.k.a. Cough, cough, spoilers, cough, 
Archfey Ziblina. So go there for her history. For this section, we want to detail what the master demonologist and lover of the demon lord Gratzt brings to the table for 5e. Firstly, let's get this out of the way again. Massive spoilers for Wild Beyond the Witchlight here, guys. If you're a player in that campaign and are currently listening, I guarantee you either have the memory of a goldfish, in which case, welcome to the podcast, or are a bad person. Put the podcast down. Moving on, Igwilv, or Tasha, is the archfey of the domain of delight called Prismere, aka where the entire campaign of Wild Beyond the Witchlight takes place. She rules in the Palace of the Heart's Desire and, at the start of the campaign, was betrayed by three other daughters of Baba Yaga, the Hourglass Coven. Why are they called that? Well, they used Tasha's own magic cauldron to freeze the legendary sorceress and many of the other inhabitants of her palace in time. That is why they are called the Hourglass Coven. Now, how did Igwil... not because of their hourglass frames? No, it's not. No. No. Or the fact that they're all immortal and immune to aging? No. Now, how did Igwilv get to create her own domain delight? Well, she spent centuries studying the abyss. In fact, she literally wrote the book on it, The Demonomicon of Igwilv, which is an item you could find in the pages of, well, you guessed it, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Well, studying the unstudiable for so long garnered a bunch of enemies, and Tasha fled from Nif... Niflheim, which is the second layer of the Plain of Hades and her previous home, to Prismere to hide as an archfey named Ziblina from the forces who would take revenge on the Witch Queen. In the time since she came here, the effects of the Fey have changed Tasha from inquisitive and super evil to the chaotic neutral Fey she is today. As Ziblina, she's seen as a benevolent fairy godmother of sorts, granting the wishes of the lost and betrayed. However, since she was betrayed herself by the Hourglass Coven, she sits in a temporal fugue state. Do you as adventurers free her to counter the hag's corruption, or do the darker notes of Tasha's history stay her hands? This is your choice. And is really what Wild Beyond the Witchlight is centered around. Should you free her by dispelling the curse with a unicorn horn, poem, and or a magical weapon, you can interact with one of the most notable figures in all of D&D lore. But I'd recommend not fighting her, because she... Well, she's one of the most notable figures in all of D&D lore. And she needs the mechanics to back that up. And boy, howdy does she. Tasha, Ziblina, Igwilv the Witch Queen, is a CR-20 fey wizard that is detailed in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. She wears the robes of the Arch Magi, has potentially over 300 hit points, and is one of the smartest creatures statted out in 5th edition, with an int of 27. She speaks seven languages, has true sight up to 60 feet, and is immune to being charmed or frightened. Now she also, like the other sisters of and daughters of Baba Yaga, cannot grow old. But she also has three legendary resistances, which why are you fighting her? She also has advantages on all saves versus magical effects, thanks to her artifact clothes, and wears an amulet of the planes, which lets her plane shift at will. Wow. Now, should you fight her, again, why? She can cast two Bewitching Bolts as an attack action, which is a 120-foot range or melee attack, it is either or, that is a plus 16 to hit, and it does 5d8 plus 6 lightning damage that forces a DC 22 wisdom save or be charmed by her. She can also, as an action, open a rift to the abyss that causes a shit ton of necrotic damage and also summons three Hezrus that immediately act after her turn and fight to the death as her allies. <laughs> By the way, this ability recharges on a five or a six. 
So she could do this multiple times if the fight lasts. Again, why are you fighting her? Again, don't. Hold on. You, you're going to be tier four when you do this. So the Hezru showing up is an issue, but they're all CR eight ish, I think. So it's an issue for two rounds. But if it recharges on a five or six, it's an issue again. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Now, on top of all of this is her spell casting, which she's a legendary wizard from fifth edition, from Dungeons and Dragons lore. So there's some boosts here she has some real doozies on her spell list which includes things like maze wish polymorph or she'll just hideous laughter you at will because that's her own damn spell and she made it up she can also phase step as a bonus action teleporting up to 30 feet away she can negate spells as a reaction twice a day which is like a more powerful version of counter spell she doesn't have to roll anything below a eighth level spell hmm wow. okay and on top of that, she comes with legendary actions that she can do whenever the hell she wants. What are these actions? Well, she can use witchcraft, which specifically lets her use her face step or any one of her spell casting features like, you know, wish or maze. Again, why are you fighting her? She's casting wish on your turn. Okay. Mm -hmm. She can also use her forbidden dark speech to force a creature to make a DC 22 wisdom save and take some psychic damage and be afraid of her for one minute. If none of that works, she can use all of her legendary actions at once to force a character to roll a DC 22 charisma save or become possessed by a fae spirit. The fae spirit obeys every wish of one of Igwilv's thoughts without hesitation and lasts until the spell is saved, which can happen at the end of each of the affected player's turns. Now, if this is cast on your Barbarian or your Fighter, again, it's a DC 22 Charisma save. So, good luck with that. Now, as for DMs, there are some tips when it comes to roleplay. Specifically, there is a roleplaying card at the end of Wild Beyond the Witchlight that describes Ziblina as temperamental in her old age. She sees emotions and kindness as strengths now, but Igwilv and Tasha would have viewed those as weaknesses. She loves her new home of Prismere and will protect it. However, her flaw from her previous lives still holds true. Her mother, Baba Yaga, once told her that her arrogance would be her undoing and told her, and I love this quote, that it is as sure as the stars light the sky. Ziblina, at least, now acknowledges this is truth now. Now, should you free her and not fight her, thank you, she will offer your party a gift. If you destroyed her cauldron to free her from the curse and didn't kill any of the dretches in the nursery that she has, by the way, she's growing dretches, she uses her wish spell to fix the cauldron and then uses the cauldron's properties to grant a boon to the players. If you manage to save her, wake her from her curse, and not destroy her cauldron, she instead grants the players a wish. If that wish is for the cauldron, she will merely laugh at you and say, and I quote, not in this lifetime, sweetheart. Ultimately, though, she will send you and your party back to the material plane to end the campaign. Okay, so grab your dice. 16. All right, I got a seven. So, Brad, you're up first. I am. I just have one question for you. I'm ready. What is your takeaway from all of that shit about Tasha and Igwilv and Zablina? What's the one big thing that you're going to bring over to your homebrew world? She is immensely powerful. She blurs the lines between hag, witch, sorcerer, all of these things. And it's just a reminder that knowledge is power. 
Yeah. We would you? Would would you? Would you say she's more powerful than Mordenkainen? <laughs> no. Really? Because we get Mordenkainen statted out in uh, Curse of Strahd, and he's not CR what twenty seven. Yes, but he's also severely hampered by sure a okay. curse yeah. at that okay. time. Right? All right. Would you say that she is more powerful than Baba Yaga? No. no. Do we have a stat block for Baba Yaga? No. No, we, we don't. don't. Baba Yaga, like, she is the witch queen. Baba Yaga is the witch god, right? Like, there's... Baba Yaga has near deific level of powers in my mind. Um, and as she should, right? She is the hag of all hags. Do you think she's more powerful than Grast? Baba Yaga or no, Tasha? No, no, Tasha. Um, yes. Yeah, me too. That's where I'm kind of like, she sits way up there in the power scale, right? They've only got to be probably like Asmodeus, Orcus. Now, not even Orcus. We have Orcus and Demogorgon statted out, and they're not as powerful as she is, mm -hmm. right? They're a higher CR than her. No, they're not. They're CR 24. She's a CR 20. Oh, I you said she was CR 27. No, her int is 27. Oh, her int is 27. Okay. So, yeah, you're talking deific level only. Yeah. That is, I mean, she is on par with a. Matron mother for the drow. Mm -hmm. That is intense. I, I love how smart she is. And also, I don't... I think, like all hags, she is under hard. No, I don't think she's a hag, though. Uh, I'm not, not, uh, she, she's not a daughter of Bobby Yaga in the same a, way that the daughters yeah. are daughters of Bobby Yaga. No, you've, you've got a point. But it doesn't change the fact that she is under hard and doesn't really take into account the eons of magic items she could have accrued. I, you know what? I think the Hourglass Coven are the good guys. You think? I think that this was purely about um, self-preservation. You look at the power scale and Igwilv's evil. Yeah, yes. But Igwilv isn't evil anymore. She's chaotic neutral now. Yes. And as Zablina... The, the I will tell you right now, I have played at tables with chaotic neutral players. And that is evil. You okay. may call yes. it chaotic yes. neutral, yes. but 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 chaotic <laughs> neutral is not supposed to be evil, even though players play chaotic Andalin, evil. Andalin as... can see the future. They're sitting there going, "Fuck it, freezer! It's our only way to live." I I don't I don't think so. Like I I love the fact that um, she's always uh, Tasha's always danced that it's... line between good and evil, often ending up on the evil side. I think we're seeing a but turn of good. Scheming it's... paranoid hags. Would see her as being a threat, but Even is it self-preservation or oh, totally. is it just, totally. or is it more of a fight for power? They realize is it jealousy and envy that they realize okay. she's the more powerful. All one. right, but guys, listen, they're evil, right? So if she's evil and more powerful, they're victims. Remember, they're evil. If she's good and more powerful, they're victims. <laughs> they're always victims. Yeah. This is self-preservation. So I wouldn't call the Hourglass Coven the good guys, but they well, definitely have a from, logical reason. From their perspective, they're the good guys on this. This is about living to see another day. They, Especially for Endelin, who is her whole great big thing is I've got to prolong my life as long as possible. Yeah. Right? And so uh, this is probably, if she's doing this, there's got to be that reason, right? All right, so environment or social? No, I didn't ask that yet. So, Dan, an environmental encounter or a social encounter for her? So, before we go on any further, Dan, how are your nuts? No, it's something upstairs. Kids. Being kids. <laughs> Quarterly emails. 
No, qu- no quarterly mailbag episodes. Notice how I paused so that future Adam could cut that out. And I made sure that he couldn't. No, he could still cut this conversation out too. Thank you, future Adam. <clears throat> uh, I think he meant future Kyle, and I almost shouldn't have just out of spite.